you have to still understand the standards. And, like, I'm sorry, but, like, as much as, like, people love showing off, like, Adobe Comp on, like, an iPad, like, you're not laying out a magazine in Adobe Comp. No, not not if you <laughs> value your sanity, I guess. No. Like, where's your baseline grid? But like, Where's your grid, period? <laughs> let's be grateful that we're not, like, Kurt and mashing everything into a typewriter. Oh, <laughs> that's true. I, again, I was excited to see this... Uh, distant historical past where you could have an entire neighborhood of people who work for newspapers and all the <laughs> dozens of newspapers that they worked for. Oh, man. And, like, you could get a really good job as, like, a paper boy. <laughs> like, just selling newspapers to people. That uh-huh, was, like, a job. Uh-huh. That's an entire industry right there. Yeah. <laughs> and before we start, oh, yeah. I just wanted to give a content warning for our listeners and for readers if they have not read this book yet. So this is a historical fiction about Berlin in the during the Weimar Republic in the lead up to World War II. So a lot of stuff tends to come along with that. And I want to make sure that readers are prepared uh, if they choose this book or if they're wondering whether they should choose this book and especially whether they should choose to listen to this podcast at this time because we will be discussing a lot of the things that are the core of this book. So that includes Nazism, anti-Semitism, sexism, racism, homophobia, and there's also depictions of violence including blood and death, nudity and sexual acts including assault, drug and alcohol use. Oh, but we should, like, give some kind of introduction of, like... Yes. Um, Hey, welcome to the Trade Waiters. Yeah, this is the Trade Waiters, and uh, we are now covering Berlin, chapters two and three. Uh, If you're reading the individual trade paperbacks, that is Berlin, City of Smoke, and Berlin, City of Light. And we'll take it through to the the end. To the Um, bitter end. The bitter end. (laughs) Quite literally, at this point. And, uh, yeah, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and it was my idea to read these... And uh, my character-building question for this episode, uh, in light of some of the the dark territory we covered in the last episode, um, and how we talked about some of the parallels between uh, the fall of the Weimar Republic and where we're at today, my character-building question is, uh, what gives you hope in 2019? Good question. Uh, I have an answer, so okay, I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> uh, I'm Jonathan, and I was just tweeting about this, so... What gives me hope is all the stories I've seen in the last few days of groups of people who, when ICE comes to their neighborhood to collect someone, they will immediately just get out in the street, get in their way, deny ICE access to people. I think we need more of that. And I think there was probably a lot less of that in the Weimar Republic and what came after. Like that kind of like situation because this is all i'm recording what i said on twitter now but they're getting over the bystander effect of so there's a crisis happening you didn't expect it it's happening right now uh and the bystander effect kind of in the back of your brain tells you it's someone else's problem just keep walking uh and if you can break that bystander effect and be the one to say no i'm the one who's here i have to do something uh, i think once you've broken it once it doesn't come back like now mm. you are 
active in your community and you are helping.、Mm-hmm. And I think the more people who、uh, are in that situation and become helpers, the better off we'll all be. Hooray! <laughs> nice. That's a good one.、Uh, I'm Jam, and what gives me hope. Is kids these days?、Oh, uh, so good answer. The youth are amazing.、Uh, the youth are so much stronger than any of us ever were. They're more politically conscious. They're more politically active. They're more politically fluent. Kids these days will introduce themselves with their pronoun, and it ain't no thing. You can switch your pronoun with them, and it ain't no thing. You can、uh, be from somewhere else, and it's not a big deal.、Uh, Because they have friends all over the world, they play Minecraft with. You know, <laughs>、yeah. like kids these days、uh, will learn how to program in Minecraft and make their own assets before the age of eight.、Uh, kids these days will have a science fair product、uh, project where they have genetically engineered a bacteria to break down plastics.、Uh, kids these days are great. As an elementary school teacher, I can confirm, kids these days are going to be so much better off. Nice. Yeah, that's a、oh、man. I don't know if I can top those answers.、Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm Jeff Ellis, and、um, I mean, yeah, I think kind of like、uh, those are sort of related to what gives me hope. I think what what gives me hope is、uh, just like how I think, yeah, like a lot of people are being active participants, and I think that we are realizing that. Maybe for too long we've been kind of sitting on the sidelines, just sort of asking like, "Can't someone do something about this?" And I think, yeah, it's like we're kind of recognizing that it's really time to just roll up your sleeves and and do something. And I think the kids are leading the way, and、uh, yeah, but we shouldn't leave it to them. No, oh no, no. oh no, too big a job. Oh no, 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 no. But it is like it's good to see. Like honestly, I was thinking about this today. I think like I've seen more leadership on climate change from Greta. Forgot her last name, but she's like what, fourteen、uh, years old, and like arranged all these strikes.、Uh, and Greta's not the first. There、yeah. was Malala before her,、right. which is an incredible child yeah. leader.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like all the 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 Parkland survivors and their efforts in gun、mm. control, like the kids who、uh, went and、um, stopped Diane Feinstein at a press conference and demanded climate action. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I just,、uh, I as much as like things can seem really bad and really overwhelming, I guess like what gives me hope is just seeing the people who aren't giving up and the people who are rolling up their sleeves and taking on these challenges. And it's inspiring to me to think like, what else can I do? How can I put a little more effort in? You know? Yeah. yeah. And just to emphasize,、uh, I think the point we were discussing in the previous episodes: these micro daily actions. Make a big difference. You don't have to be starting up a political magazine or like、uh, being in a protest every day. Day to day choices and day to day actions make a huge difference, and you can write the future you want to live in.、Mm-hmm. Absolutely.、Um, that actually is a good jumping off point because there's a couple of actions like that in volumes two and three that really stood out to me. Now that's not necessarily what I was thinking about when I read them, but they they stood out to me as moments in the story where I was like, "Yes, I'm really happy that character made that choice."、Uh, and so I mean, I'll just tell you what they are, so I can gush about、mm-hmm. how great these characters were, at least at these particular times. Yeah. <laughs> so、uh, I wrote them down. So one of them was Anna's landlady. Yeah.、Uh, they、uh, Anna and Margaret are in a relationship, as I 
accidentally spoiled in the last episode. <laughs> uh, and they've spent two volumes avoiding the landlady because they don't want her to find out because that could have like consequences. Maybe Anna's going to get kicked out or something. Uh, and then at one point, Anna walk no, the, uh, the landlady walks in on the two of them having sex and the landlady's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll come back another time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's all yeah. she does. Yeah. <laughs> and she also volunteers to take care of him. Like yeah. when Anna got, you know, uh, assaulted by the police, basically, and like thrown out. And he was really distraught by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna vol- or um, Anna's landlady volunteered to take care of him, help him feel a little better and let uh, Marth go out and have enjoy her day. Yeah, she yeah, did yeah. with that time is a little bit questionable, but uh, <laughs> the landlady was definitely an everyday hero. Yeah, and she also had this, I mean, she uh, wouldn't be what anyone would describe as woke necessarily, but she has this moment where she's, she's saying, oh, yeah, no, I've been in a situation like that. It happens. <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like I like that her, her take on it, I think, was just like, oh, you know, sometimes us gals get lonely and we just like <laughs> help each other out. <laughs> Until we find our husbands, like <laughs> so, so she really hasn't like, thought through herself <laughs> very thoroughly, maybe. But she's at yeah. least like, this is fine. Yeah, that's that's worth a lot. I mean, yeah, I mean, as long as at the end of the day she's like, hey, you know, live and let live. You guys have fun. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. For her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's other things too. Uh, David's family takes in Sylvia. Yes, I was gonna say uh, I feel much like Sylvia. Anyone who has anything bad to say about Mrs. Schwartz, I will fight them. <laughs> fair. Very fair. Yeah. So do we want to give a bit of backgrounder on what has happened to Sylvia in the internet? Sure. Mm-hmm. So her mother was shot in the May Day Communist Rally March and killed. And so as a result, her youngest sister, who I think is Elga, mm-hmm. uh, her youngest sister went to the orphanage but ultimately was picked up by her father to go live with Heinz in the uh, National Socialist headquarters. But Sylvia wasn't having any of that. Um, and so as a result, she became homeless. Uh, and She's ooh. living pretty rough at the beginning of this story. Yeah. So she, she lives rough for a while. And then she's taken in by Pavel. Mm-hmm. To Who's also Pavel, homeless. Yeah, Pavel's but, also homeless and yeah. rescues her from a left turn into prostitution, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. The, the inciting incident there. And oh. Pavel kind of shows her the ropes of living on the street and gives her a little bit of protection and a mm-hmm. uh, margin of stability, I guess. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. um, something that we maybe missed, uh, though, is like right at the beginning of Chapter 2, the first thing Sylvia does is she goes directly to communist headquarters and tries to kill Otto oh, that's uh, right. out of revenge, yeah. which I feel is a very important plot point for where her and Otto end up at the end of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was actually, I was kind of shocked uh, picking up volume, rereading volume two, and then, like, like Gudrun has died at the end of volume one, and immediately Sylvia is trying to murder this man and blaming him for the death of her mother. And uh, it was like just, I don't know, it was like a switch went off for Sylvia and she just... um, Never really fully comes back from that. Yeah. No. Uh, Which is understandable. Yeah. But for a time she was taken in. um, Mm -hmm. It was Schwartz family, right? Yes. By the Schwartz family and given room and board, given uh, some education, given some stability and structure. um, Mm -hmm. And it was a really generous act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That... um, I did enjoy... 
is sort of the 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 flip of the trope where you have a German Christian kid who's taken in by a Jewish family, which is like like a few years later, the trope would have to be the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> We're not quite at that point in this part yeah. of the story. But yeah. yeah, it's it's like, no, you just take people in when they're in trouble. That's what you yeah. do. I yeah. mean, uh, the way it played out, too, just kind of gave me chills because, like, Sylvia is living with Pavel and then Pavel, being a Jew, runs afoul of some national socialists. And um, there's an interesting moment there, too, where the national socialists attack the two of them and one of the national socialists uh, wants to rape Sylvia and the other national socialist is basically like, whoa, hey, like, I mean, we're national socialists, but we're not. Are we the baddies? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, at, well, see, like it's at that point where, you know, we still, Jason Lutz is still not drawing swastikas on the armbands yet. And uh, it's sort of showing that even within the ranks of the national socialists, like, you know, in, in, a, in a Quentin Tarantino movie, yes, obviously all Nazis are rapists. But, like, at this moment, it's like, no, like, there's a person who's, yeah, okay, he's made a bad decision with his political affiliation. But even he has kind of some lines where he's like, no, like, mm. we're not going to sexually assault a 12-year-old girl. Like, I'm not going to just stand by and let that happen. Yeah, it's like they're, they're still individuals at this point. We're not looking at the effect of the entire infrastructure, although that sort of permeates the story, is like, uh, and that's, I think, one of the strengths of this series is that it's about individual people. Yeah, and the norms of what it means to be a national socialist and, like, what is and is not considered that alignment of behavior, those those are still in the process of being defined. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, but uh, I digress. So, like, um, so anyway, Pavel ends up getting very horribly beaten Mm -hmm. by these Nazis, and um, Sylvia and Pavel stumble to the Schwartz residence, and when they come knocking at the door, Mrs. Schwartz is sort of like, oh, it's your homeless friend again. Tell him to stop interrupting us at dinner time. But as soon as Mr. Schwartz opens the door and both of them come out like bloody messes, like from this fight, like Mrs. Schwartz is just like, okay, you're letting this girl stay in our guest room. We're going to clean up this homeless man. And, you know, the husband's kind of like, but, and she's like, no, like this little girl's living in our house now. I have decided. (laughs) And just like the way that she goes from, oh, it's so inconvenient, this homeless person coming by begging for food during dinner. But when she sees, like, you know, like, essentially, like, shit just got real. When, when the you know, rubber hits the road, she's like, oh, no. Like, we're taking this girl in. We're going to make sure she gets fed. I'm not having any argument. I'm not having a discussion about this. We're taking this girl in. Mm-hmm. End of story. And just that was so powerful in, mm-hmm. that, in that moment. And I think it's also, uh, like... Mr. Schwartz's point of view is entirely understandable. There's a a sequence where he's trying to explain this to David, their son, about why he shouldn't be involved in politics because David is like selling newspapers for the communists. (laughs) So he's picked a side already. Uh, But his father's like, no, no, you can't do that. Uh, And he does. I don't think he actually says you can't do that because we're Jewish. But that's clearly the implication where we're the ones who are going to get targeted. There's already a stereotype that we're behind communism and somehow also behind the banks 
which doesn't make any sense, but these things never do. <laughs> so he's saying you, you need to protect yourself. Like, let other people figure this out. If you try and get involved, it's just going to be bad news for all of us. So just, like, stay out of it. Yeah. So that's that's his perspective. But it is good also to see his wife's point of view of, like, no, we have to help these specific people. Yeah. And the father also tries to explain this to his father, the grandfather, mm-hmm. of, like, no, you can't, like, say these things about Germany. Germany is the company – or Germany, Germany is the country that – took us in and allowed us to live here while still being very cognizant and aware of the limitations of living in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then later on, it does end up coming to fruition for him. So when they come out of the synagogue in book three, I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, they're getting racist, anti-Semitic remarks hurled at them from the street and the cops are standing right there. Mm-hmm. And David is like, uh, cops, can you do anything about this? And the father is like, no, the not for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Which... And then there's, I mean, we're jumping ahead here. Um, so spoiler alert. Yeah. But at the end of the story, it's also really interesting the way that they get out of Berlin. Because throughout this entire book, I was not expecting anything good to happen for anyone in this family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they reach a point, and I don't know if it's actually Kristallnacht or whether it's just a similar isolated incident, but someone smashes up the family storefront yeah. um, and paints slogans on it. Uh, and so then the wife is like, okay, we're getting out. We're getting out now. We're going to go to uh, my relatives in America. And the husband's like, no, no, we can't, we can't. And she's like, no, we're doing this right now. We're leaving. That's it. Which, Tonight. Yeah. Which, again, uh, <laughs> I got to say, like, Mrs. Schwartz, decisive and great decisions. Like, do not question Mrs. Schwartz. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and it works, too, because there were plenty of... I don't remember the timeline exactly, but there were lots of uh, Jewish people from uh, Europe, especially Germany, who tried to get to America and were turned away. And I'm assuming they made it. We don't really know because the story doesn't go any further than that. You'd have to check the timeline on that. But uh, she has relatives there, and that's her, her inn, and they have the steamship ticket. So I think that means they actually succeed in their mission. Yeah, and the timing is really critical, right? Because mm-hmm. like how bad is bad enough? Yeah. So that's, that's not kind an easy of, call to make. Yeah, that's kind of something that you can see echoes of here. Oh um, yeah. Uh in the present time of like how bad is bad enough. Mm-hmm. And having made that decision in uh I believe the story concludes in 1929, early 1930? Uh, here, it's, um... Yeah, it's 1930. 1929 to... 1933. 1933, okay, right. So, like... Okay, yeah. It's still early, so to speak, right? And it's like, yeah, things are bad, but are they really that bad for me yet? Uh Uh-huh. And that's a really difficult decision to make when you've got a business. Like, they own a business there. They own a house. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they have a son who has a life there. They've already moved from Poland. I mean, they've already done this big move and like maybe this is all temporary and it'll blow over they don't know yeah so like whether they got out or not is really dependent on when they made that call or not um Mm -hmm. not to say that that's the right call for the right people in every context but it's like it's a tremendously difficult decision to make and so complicated Uh You, Mm -hmm. you can only really judge that after the fact yeah yeah so yeah yeah i definitely yeah i think like you definitely got that sense of like being on the razor's edge in this volume, like uh, there's definitely some still some levity, but you sort of are just almost like it's almost like you're waiting for 
things to start to go worse <laughs> in in this volume. Like honestly, even even like at the beginning uh, of this story where you're introduced to the Coco kids, like even though yes, it is nineteen like twenty nine or whatever. Like even then, I was like, oh, I don't know. It's probably not a good idea to be an African-American jazz band in Berlin. Like, you probably don't want to be here, guys. Yeah, but it's another uh, aspect that I'm really glad for its inclusion mm. and its perspective here because, like, jazz was huge in this era. And, and brand also, new. Yeah, and it yeah. also, like, a, a lot of people did have the perspective that Marth takes on it, which is like, oh, my God, this is so new and modern and fresh. And, like, this is the major source of optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's and a prob- a lot really probably fun. a lot of people were like, Kurt, like, I don't understand this, so yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I appreciated that so much is like all the old people who are just like, ah, <laughs> oh, this jazz. This is why youth are wrong. <laughs> Society's crumbling because of jazz. This is what's wrong with everything. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I will say that uh, I really appreciated the whole story with the Coco kids, which kind of ends in a heist. Which is really yeah. exciting. I think putting that as something that only happens in volume two, it like begins and ends just in that volume, mm-hmm. uh-huh. was a good way to sort of bridge the gap because otherwise the middle volume in a three volume story about the fall of Germany is just going to be so depressing. Mm-hmm. And it has like a really good ending. Like I'm really, really happy that everyone got out okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and yeah. they all and got, they got their yeah. money. Yeah. After yeah. working so hard. I think they're the only characters who end well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, um, like, when you frame it that way, I think that makes me feel different. Because I think my initial note when I read Volume 2 was I think I kind of made a note to myself, like, the Coco Kids thing could have probably been cut. Like, if especially because, like, Jason Lutz, it took him 20 years to complete this. It's like, well, you could have saved a year if you hadn't, like, fleshed it out with this, like, heist. And it was great. It's like this great little heist subplot. But it's sort of like, it was almost felt like it didn't need to be there. Hmm. Like, it, the Coco kids don't really interact with other characters in our story. Like, if that had been cut out, you wouldn't have really lost any of the major narrative points. But I think you make the good point, or you both make the good point, that without it, this would be a really dark slog. And yeah. so maybe it's just <laughs> nice to have some levity. Um, I did appreciate some of this, the... Um, when we talk about music and comics, oh like yeah, the silent panels of the mu- musical instruments—you got a feel for jazz. Like you could almost hear the notes mm-hmm. with the way Jason Lutz did the paneling and the and the drawing and the pacing. Yeah. There, there was another part in the story where um, the the main character—I don't remember his name—but he's playing the clarinet over the sound on on the radio of like the Berlin orchestra playing some mm. nationalistic like song yeah yeah uh, and so he's playing to that and you've got these panels where it's like this very serious like graphed out music floating through the air and then his music is kind of dancing around it in notes that aren't really notes they're just kind of note like yeah mm. that was so good uh, and I really liked his relationship with Polo. Oh, mm. Polo was yes. great. That yeah. was another <laughs> moment I wanted to call out where uh, it's the, the guy who runs the club that they're playing at calls him the N-word, uh, and then she slaps him. Like, she's he's her boss, and she slaps him, which is, that's the only good way that can end, because if they react... Mm. that's going to have consequences. Mm-hmm. But she can react because she's a white woman 
uh, and like he doesn't even fire her she quits yeah she, he wants an apology afterwards and like that's her gonna be her only consequence he's like no I'm not gonna work for you anymore yeah <laughs> and yeah. they take the money and fly away in an airplane like it was it was actually yeah. very romantic <laughs> oh, yeah. and uh, I mean, it made me really happy <laughs> yeah. it was like every character kind of made out really well like yeah. uh yeah, that was a great... That's true. That was just, like, a really fun little subplot. And I think maybe... Now that you guys bring it up, I think it was, like, a nice bit of levity. Yeah. In, in an otherwise sort of dark, dark story. Yeah. Um, and it also, I think, allows a... Uh, I don't know really how to put this. Kind of like the rest of the world knocking on Germany's door. Mm. Like the rest of the world interacting with Berlin. Mm. So the Coco Kids kind of act as a proxy for the rest of the world. They mm. bring that American perspective, right? And mm. they also show how Berlin is reacting to modernization of like America and the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. there isn't yeah. too much of that, but I, I appreciate it for that. And, and yeah. I'm glad it brings a little bit more of a global perspective and something that's otherwise quite cloistered in, mm-hmm. in Berlin. Yeah, and even like within the the Coco Kids, they were like quite a diverse group. I mean, I don't know I like the subtlety of how they have the the outdoor kind of like urinal stop uh, where gay men meet up with each other in secret, and then clearly one of the Coco Kids goes for like a rendezvous. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's just this very understated you know kind of like nod you know like like he's maybe getting to enjoy some freedoms in berlin that he may not be able to enjoy uh in america yeah Mm -hmm. and it it comes up again later on uh in the underbelly there's Mm. like another encounter yeah uh, to just kind of like carry through that thread yeah and again like yeah the diversity of these perspectives and like the multiple angles through which we can explore uh berlin society Mm. i think it's it's really masterfully done yeah yeah, I also like we got a little bit of a vignette with uh, Josephine Baker. Yeah, there were a few oh. things like that where they're like, "Here's a famous person who just happens to be there." And when I read this, I'm like, "Oh, okay, historical fiction. Of course, we're going to meet someone famous eventually." But no, like thinking about it, Berlin is one city. Everybody's going to Berlin. They're in the right circles to to run into just run into people who are famous now and maybe weren't as famous then. Like, I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, like, I I've, appreciated that cameo. Yeah, yeah. like, I've, I've been to um, enough parties in just Vancouver with my limited circle of influence that I've been at the same party as someone famous, and I'm like, okay, so this is a thing that could happen. Yeah. yeah. It's not like we wrote Josephine Baker in as a major character in the story or anything. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, I picked up a... Uh, a French, com- or no, a, a, a Belgian comic that was uh, all about uh, Josephine Baker that I still haven't finished reading, but that was a good primer for me to then read this and be like, oh my God, Josephine Baker. <laughs> yeah. I have a whole graphic novel just about her. <laughs> um, yeah, she's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that, I forget if you, I think no, I think uh, they establish uh, Kurt's ex, uh, oh, Margaret, yeah. uh, in bo- volume one, mm-hmm. but I think she really... Uh, comes into her own in volume two uh, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. where like she seems like because like initially like they go to the jazz club and she's I guess racist about these black uh-huh. jazz musicians which is like and not a huge surprise in the 1930s no I know it's just like I guess like when you first meet her you sort of think oh she seems okay and then you're at the jazz club and you're like no oh, I don't know about her and then <laughs> you have this weird uh, like eyes wide shut like sex party uh where she essentially i mean 
as much as I think like it maybe the actual relationship between Margaret and Anna I think seemed like it end up ultimately being Margaret and not, uh, Marta sorry um, Mart Mart sorry Mart sorry not yeah. Margaret Mart Mart and uh, and Anna's relationship seemed ultimately like a a, a fairly fine relationship ultimately mm-hmm. yeah. but the way it starts is that Margaret drugs that like basically gets them drunk fills them full of drugs and like like has them have sex with each other while they're really not in a mental state to be consenting to anything mm. yeah i don't um, think margaret constructed that because she didn't certainly suggest that anna should come along she didn't necessarily know the relationship between mm. mart and anna prior mm. but she did figure out enough to steer it in that direction and inform Kurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot that she was the one who told Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. Or, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, or did she tell Kurt? No. Well, I don't remember. I think Mart ended Mart? up confessing. Okay. Yeah, Mart, yeah, Mart confessed. But Mart like, confessed. Um, but, like, she definitely... She didn't stop it. Yeah, she 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 threw some gas on that fire. I think yeah, I think throwing mm-hmm. gas in the fire is a good way to describe it. Yeah, and I I don't know, I just like I found in my notes it was like um I found myself being like Margaret, I don't know about her. Margaret, I like her. Margaret, she's the worst. Yeah, and then <laughs> volume think, 3 like... it turns out she is the worst because she becomes a Nazi. Yeah. Uh thrives on drama. <laughs> I think bougie and thrives on drama is a good mm-hmm. way to mm-hmm. describe Margaret. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's not going to join the communists. <laughs> yeah, exactly, no. exactly. The, um, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think if it was volume two or it volume three. Very when... subtle the reveal too, where she's just, oh, I'm having a fundraiser for Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Oh my really? god! I, I really enjoyed that moment and how Kurt reacted to that, especially. <laughs> oh, because that, like, again, like as something that really struck me in book one. Uh, which is how polarized people had become mm-hmm. and how they had started to wear their political affiliations more openly. But you also have this moment of like, oh, we were friends, but now we're on opposite sides of this ideology. Mm-hmm. And having that cause like a chasm between you and the people that you know, I thought that was a really well-constructed moment where, oh. you know, Margaret is just like, oh, yes, I'll come to my fundraiser for Hitler tonight. And Kurt is just like, you what now? Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I just the way that plays out, because I'm trying to find the page, but basically like the sound cuts out and the the camera turns and the panel borders disappear and it's almost the same as when Gudrun dies yeah and you sort of it almost feels like that shell-shocked uh scene from Saving Private Ryan and you're just kind of in Severing's head like as if like you know Margaret's just like oh yeah I'm doing a fundraiser for Hitler yeah like just boom it's just like a concussion grenade went off Hmm. in his face yeah Uh, and even just like there's a panel of of Margaret giving Kurt kind of a dirty look like what yeah uh. Isn't that a big deal? Just Hitler. Like, eh. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the way Hitler is introduced into this comic because he doesn't make an appearance until the beginning of Volume 3. Yeah. And I was uh, reflecting on it because he comes to power in Munich. Right. Mm. Yes. So I was wondering a little bit in the back of my mind about, like, Hitler's absence in Berlin. And I'm like, oh, right. He he came up through the brew houses in in. Munich mm-hmm. uh, wasn't actually Berlin at all. Yeah, so him arriving in Berlin is like, this is now the beginning of the end. Like, when I was reading it, I thought, like, this is kind of a, a demon ex machina. 
Mm-hmm. It's like he's the demon in the machine pulling on little strings, and we don't see him until the end. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. And there's something else we see at the end, too. Oh, yeah. Okay, so in the last episode, I mentioned that there was a sequence that the panels were framed as a swastika and that uh, Jason made the choice to not show actual swastikas on the page. But in volume three, page 97... Mm. Uh, let me just We're, find it. I think we will go back and add page references for the ebook and the larger volumes later. Sure. Uh, they're probably similar. Yeah. Um, anyways, there's another sequence where this is the first time we see a swastika in the entire series. Uh, it's not on a flag. It's someone has painted it on a wall. And it's the center small square panel with mm. four panels around it. Mm-hmm. forming a swastika just to reflect that same sequence in volume one, mm-hmm. except now this is the reveal. Now Nazism is realized. It is what we think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's really interesting because I picked up on that it was a deliberate choice, but I didn't think it was Jason making that choice for himself. I thought it was like, oh, the swastikas must have been edited out. Hmm. Oh. I did consider that, like, maybe this is so it's easier to publish in Germany or something like uh, that, because they have very strict rules about no. where you can use that. But I think this shows that, no, I, this was his choice. Yes, See, there I was, think so as well. There was an interview. See, I, I have the advantage that I, I'd read an interview with him after Volume 1, and he specifically talked about uh, that was a conscious choice. And then he also revealed, this is something I didn't talk about in the last episode, uh, he hid a swastika in the magazines that he produced. So if you were to have collected all 22 magazines and lay them on the floor side by side in a grid, the colors and shapes on the covers would form a swastika. Hmm. Wow. And so I think that was at least the first half. And so he was saying that that was the only place that you would find a swastika at the beginning of the story was that the covers lined up to make a swastika. Hmm. Uh, that may only be the first chapter, but yeah, it was like his hidden swastika. Wow. Otherwise, everything else was, he he intentionally didn't have them. Yeah. Yeah, and so then is... after, after that page, for the rest of the series, then we can see the swastikas. They're on all the flags, they're on all the armbands, as if they'd been there all along. It's just that from the character's point of view, now this has added meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to like... It's like it's tough with I keep pick, jumping between the two books. I'm trying to think of like when things happen. Yeah, but like, well, it, it's I guess it doesn't really matter when things happen because mm. we have the benefit of discussing all right. of it. Yeah, 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 time, yeah. So. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that um, we definitely still still got a good look at sort of the the underground like uh, lesbian bars in yeah. uh, in Berlin. Uh, I think that's a main feature in book two, and that's is it is it is it the jazz are the Coco Kids performing there? Or no, the Underbelly is its own club, isn't it? The Underbelly is, I think, its own club that is, yeah, queer yeah. friendly. Yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. but not explicitly a queer club. Right. The one that gets raided is not the Underbelly where the Coco mm. Kids were performing. Right. But yeah, there is a uh, a raid on a queer club, right? Which was. Something that happened, and I, I think that 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 was I think that was book three, and that's where you really felt like, oh yeah, things, things are, are not yeah. good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, do you want to talk more about the raid, or we could talk more about uh, Anna? Okay. 
So Anna is a character in this work, and in a contemporary context, we might say that he is a trans man, but we can't ascribe that to the character. We don't know the choices that that character may have uh, chosen to define themselves, but we do know that he uses he-him pronouns and thinks of himself as a man. So we will be discussing him as a man. And he has a, uh, a relationship with Anna, and yeah. With Marta. Sorry. Yes, Anna has a relationship with Marth. Uh-huh. And it's it's really interesting. It's a good relationship. Yeah. I like that they they get together and they kind of break up and they're still good after. They're still really close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I would I much prefer that to like oh it's a big breakup and we're never going to be on speaking terms anymore or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely a complicated relationship. I'm Mm -hmm. glad they got together and I'm glad they broke up because (laughs) I think what Marth did to him is really shitty. Yeah. So what happened in the comic is uh, there was an assault on the, or sorry, there was a raid uh, on the the queer club where both Anna and Marth were hanging out. Uh, And as a result, a lot of people got dragged in. So what gets cited at the beginning when the cops are breaking down the door, uh, someone is guarding the door and he says, what's the password? Because you often need to be in the know to get into these types of clubs. And they say paragraph 175. Uh, And I looked it up later and paragraph 175 was the section of law outlawing homosexuality. So they break down the doors and they pull everyone out. Um, and Anna gets pulled into the police station, but ultimately gets released uh, because he's been, like, disrobed by the police and revealed to have been, uh, in a modern context term, assigned female. And so it's not illegal to uh, be in a lesbian relationship. It's not illegal to necessarily dress in men's clothing but it certainly is frowned upon but that is illegal for men it is illegal for men to be in a homosexual relationship and so anyway anna gets released but is obviously very upset and distraught by this uh and marta kind of pulls away at that point like yeah she has a hard time feeling sympathy which is like that's yeah it's it's, as we could say it's not very compassionate yeah yeah no i was actually really surprised by that because i overall generally felt mart was a pretty compassionate person and then yeah like immediately after this raid there's a scene where like mart is just like oh man anna's such a drag just lying in bed crying (laughs) basically yeah yeah. Get over it. Just get out of bed. Yeah. It's not a big deal. And so then <laughs> during this, like when the very generous landlady is like, oh, you go out, enjoy the sun. I'll take care of him. Mart immediately goes back to Kurt, her ex, uh, and, and sleeps with him. And yeah. <laughs> uh, as a result, Anna's like, so we're not dating anymore because what you did to me was really shitty, actually. And I'm really, yeah. really glad that Anna was really firm about mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. he should be treated. Yeah, yeah. actually, that was just, yeah, the power of that at the very end with uh, Anna walking off in, like, essentially walking off into the sunset after kind of just declaring, like, I'm not putting up with this. Uh, See ya. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also like that, um, because for the first couple of volumes, I wasn't sure, like, how to think about Anna, but then he makes his pronouns explicit in the third volume, which helped me to say, oh, okay, uh, like maybe we can't call this character trans necessarily, but they're kind of in that category, sort of. Yeah, we don't know 
how they would have chosen. Yeah. Right? You know, he didn't have the access to the, the language that we have in a modern context. Mm-hmm. He also doesn't have access to the same kind of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, the context is completely different. So we can say that he is a man. I mm-hmm. felt I understood him better at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was important to include that rather than to never bring it up in the story. I think mm-hmm. so as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm really, really grateful for his inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, he's also like a really well-rounded character who yeah. I really enjoyed. I found him really charismatic. I like, We talked in book one about the scene where uh, Mart confesses that she's gotten into a relationship and heartbroken. Anna tries to like throw the bust of <laughs> Mart that he's carved into the river, but he doesn't. And then... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I really, uh, I mean, I guess we're getting to the, the end here, but like, I yeah. really liked that the end of Marth's story is Marth returns home to take care of her family and that uh, Kurt and Anna are both there uh, to see Marth off. And mm-hmm. in a way, like, it's kind of like the two men of her life, you know, like our relationships didn't work out, but you're seeing me off to the train. And <laughs> I even just appreciated kind of Kurt and Anna having almost kind of a, like a handshake, you know, like, well, good day, sir. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, and they've also got each other to support each other because they're staying in Berlin and it's 1933. Things are getting get really bad. Mm. You, you got to have friends. You got to have mm. people around you that you can trust. Yeah. Mm. However, uh, I do think it was more of a cordial, like, oh, we should totally hang out. Yeah, really? definitely. But then if you look at the last panel, they're walking out very separate doors, which mm, okay. I think is quite symbolic. Mm-hmm. All right. That's not as good as I hoped. But, well, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, no, things, I, things are going to get bad, and then maybe, people, then maybe they'll make different choices. We'll yeah. See. yeah. Or we won't um, see, because that's where it ends. We, we won't see, <laughs> yeah. but I... Enjoyed the time we got to spend with Anna, and I hope. Yeah, I hope he's okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, I did like like the ending was not at all what I expected, mm-hmm. um, but I did like that because I don't know how you could have had a better ending than this. Mm-hmm. I don't know you, you can't have a good ending. Not nothing good is going to happen from here on out, and so the people who escape, like those are the ones who I'm like at least semi confident maybe they're going to be okay, mm-hmm. uh, and. Several of the characters get out of Berlin, and that kind of gives their characters like a conclusion to their arc, where we've seen their lives in Berlin and wherever they are off to next, it'll be a different story. And also, well, at least they won't be there when things get really bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I also like where it ended. Mm -hmm. I think like uh, the following periods of history like whether it's uh berlin during world war ii or berlin during the communist separation have been written about extensively mm-hmm. certainly more extensively than uh, i don't know uh i i feel more familiar with the kind of things that happened in those time periods yeah than i would with the weimar republic mm-hmm. and this is definitely a work that is explicit about its focus on the Weimar Republic ages. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the transition at the end where it's like you have the perspective of oh, it's actually like quite funny because you have Marth and she's riding off on the train and she's like I'm imagining I look back in Berlin and it's beautiful and like 
the city of light and then the immediate next panel is berlin in absolute ruin Mm -hmm. uh after world war ii Mm -hmm. and then there's an immediate transition to berlin separated into east and west germany yeah uh and then uh a section where you have the Berlin Wall, which brings in a little bit of color. Yeah, yeah. I thought that and was then really it's interesting. The, the, there's a break in the wall. Like, this yeah. is the, the end of the Cold War. Yeah. yeah. And then the final image is, like, a modern photograph of modern Berlin. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure, like, you can see there's a line on the pavement. That's where the wall was. Oh, wow. Mm. Like, right there. So, I think, like, I haven't actually been to Germany, but I oh, think yeah. in Berlin... At least in some of the places where the wall had been, it's still marked on the ground mm. where it was as mm-hmm. a reminder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I just I I I thought that was I was like it was kind of a little bit strange that like you've gone from this black and white comic and then all of a sudden it's like there's the color of the Berlin Wall and then we got this color photograph at the end. But then yeah, I felt like how else are you gonna end it? You know, and yeah. I just think carrying us forward into like the modern times and just kind of being like, well, like we know here is the fall of the Weimar Republic and we all kind of know where this goes. And so let's just sort of fast forward and like, Hey, at least Berlin is still here today. Like Berlin survived. (laughs) I I think the, for me, it reminded me that this is a history of a real place, you know, and it's a place where people still live and still have lives. And uh, this history does affect them. Mm Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the end of uh, Gangs of New York, mm. where like there's kind of uh, the characters are. I think they die at the end. It's been a while since, while since I've seen it, <laughs> and then we have like a fast forward through time of like the rest of history of New York up until the present, just with the skyline kind of evolving. Mm. Uh, and I think that sort of really works well if you're if the real character of your story is the city, mm. where mm. like. This city keeps going. It, this is not the end of the story of the city. We've yeah. only seen this one chapter. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, in a way, it's like these, all these little uh, visitations with all these characters. It's kind of like um, just like looking at the, the lifeblood of the city. Like, And that's something I really appreciated. Uh, I know we're like running out of time, but like something I really appreciated was like in volume two, there's all these interviews with uh, all these interviews with like just random people mm. uh, that Kurt does. And then in volume three, you revisit those people and you kind of look at the guy with the eye patch that gets interviewed and the, the mother that gets interviewed. Oh, and yeah. like, um, you're like, where are they at now? How does how, you know, where, where is their story going? And, and um, yeah, I just think uh, it just really, yeah, it was just like a really nice snapshot of a time and a place. Yeah. Um, and like we, one thing I realized we didn't really talk about is where Sylvia ended up. I don't know if we have time we to don't talk have time. to Sylvia. But, um, uh, there's a lot in yeah. these books. Yeah, there's a lot. I I'm think sure. we're going to have to jump ahead to final thoughts. Yeah, yeah well, congratulations to Jason Lutz for mm-hmm. completing uh, a masterwork. Yeah, see, this, to bring it back to our original question, this also gives me hope that he, it, even though it took him 23 years to finish this, <laughs> he finished it. Yeah. So maybe I can finish my books too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, speaking as a comic artist who's had a lot of anxiety over doing the math and thinking it's going to take me five years to finish my current work, um, yeah, 20 years. I mean, yeah, it could be worse. Five years is pretty doable, honestly. <laughs> uh, anyways, I would recommend this book. Uh, I mean, it's an intense read, but it's a really, really, really well-written and well-drawn comic. Uh, it's high on my list of best comics I've read. Yeah, 
Um, I think it really comes together in the in the third volume. Uh, I think all the characters have a pretty satisfying arc. So much, there's so much we couldn't even talk about. So yeah, I mean, just pick it up, read it. You're gonna find a bunch of characters we didn't even talk about. You can leave us comments. Um, <laughs> so yeah, definitely read it. Yeah, so uh, I enjoyed this book. I would most recommend it to someone who is already keen on history and interested in this time period. But I'm glad I read it. Okay, uh, so we do shout outs. Quick. Okay, so I'm Jeff Ellis. You can find my work at jeffreyellis.ca. And I think this already got shouted out, but I'm going to shout out it again. Uh, Rise of the White Phoenix. I just got my copy because I backed it on Kickstarter. Um, it's by Lisa LaRose, and it's about uh, luchadors. And, uh, again, we want to break after reading Berlin. There yeah, you go. That was actually going to be my <laughs> shout-out, too, because I just got my copy, too. It's a really good book. Okay. <laughs> um, my shout-out is a bit out of left field. Uh, I just finished Earth- Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Ooh. Uh, and it was fun. It's nice to read a novel sometimes. I always like me some Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. Right on. Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 